0: Hi guys, welcome to Something Private, a podcast about everything related to the vagina, from sex to health and the society. My name is Nicole and I'm your producer and your host. So one of the things that COVID-19 has had me think about a lot more is how little I've been giving back to society in terms of volunteering or donating to communities that need help. Which is ironic because I believe in a lot of causes and I know a lot of good organisations that exist out there. But I've never actually put money where my mouth is, which I'm really embarrassed to admit, frankly. But I think it's mostly because everything in the world has been relatively rosy so far. But since the pandemic hit, this sudden one to give back has been like, whoa, like I really finally like woke up my idea, you know. And I think many around me have been sharing about the various non-profits in Singapore that have been around forever doing excellent work and all these grown-up initiatives to support a variety of communities during these trying times. And I don't know, I find it really heartwarming and I really want to give back. Um, and this has made me seriously think about why I haven't been more proactive in giving back before the pandemic, you know, so... If there's one thing that I'm gaining from this entire situation is that I'm going to be more proactive in giving back to the less fortunate people who need my help, you know, because I, I believe that I'm in a position of some level of privilege and I have the ability to give. So, yeah, why not? I... I'm definitely going to be setting aside a portion of my salary every month. I don't think it has to be a big amount, but it's going to go into my financial planning to give to organisations or businesses that I think are doing good. Anyway... Back to the episode with Rebecca A week ago I released an episode titled Who is Rebecca Yu? Where You know We dug deep into the life Of this crazy rich Asian girl And how it was like For her growing up As the great granddaughter Of the founder Of Yu Yen Sang Which is this You know If you're Southeast Asian You know It's this really popular TCM shop That you find like everywhere which is really funny also because later that night, um, after I released that episode, I went to buy dinner at a mall near my place. I did wear a mask. And I noticed, for the first time, a Sang shop right at the basement beside Fair Price. And I was like, hey, babe, like... The reason why I brought up giving back to the community earlier on is because I think Rebecca is someone who really puts her money where her mouth is. As someone who really believes in helping victims of sex trafficking across Southeast Asia, she's actually... You know, not just throwing money at the problem. She's actually been working on a solution for many years now. I think Rebecca really impressed me because not only is she self-aware about her family, her background and her philanthropy, she's channeled all that into doing good work. Rebecca
1: shares a story with me. There was a seven-year-old girl and she she was like happy. So like she's seven, like she's she loves princesses and ponies and she wore pink all the time. Until I had a friend come and check out the, um, the, the property next door, I was thinking of buying it to extend the foundation. So he pulls up, he gets out of the car, he walks towards the center, and the girl started taking off her pants. She started taking off her clothes, and everyone around me just kind of froze. Because we didn't... We realized that she had been conditioned to, whenever she recognized a man, she would just get naked she recognised that my friend was a guy so she started undressing herself to be that conditioned made me so it still makes
0: me very angry living in one of the richest countries in the world I think has no doubt desensitised a lot of us to the problems that poor countries around us face I know that's definitely true for me even though these countries are literally our neighbours you know, Rebecca's company reminds us of the chilling fact that these problems are closer to home that we think and this is what she's doing about it.
1: I run a small social enterprise called Maze Own which is based out of the Philippines. We support survivors of sex trafficking and local artisans. And I am trying to build more awareness about my project, build more awareness about the issue I'm passionate about which is helping survivors of sex trafficking in Southeast Asia. So there's many like, facets to, to yes. Maze Own. So maybe break that down for me first. Cool. So Maze Own can be described as two parts one part is the foundation work that we do and then the other part is the enterprise work that we do right so on the business side we work with local artisans around the country around the Philippines to preserve the native heritage and culture of the people and we want to try and you know present that in a more modern contemporary light um, where people can enjoy and you know, have that as part of their home. That links up with the second part, which is it helps offset our foundation expenses, right? So on the foundation side, I work with survivors of sex trafficking in the Philippines, and we are trying to improve kind of their education systems because I feel like education is such a great equalizer for everybody. So even though they come from such a difficult background, if we can provide them with the tools to get a better education, to get some context to academic society, maybe, maybe that will help them get a better livelihood. Maybe that could open a door for them to go to school. Right now, we're building classrooms, computer labs, and we're hoping to connect our classrooms with, um, you know, local schools in Singapore, so that there's like online peer-to-peer tutoring, and I think that will really benefit. That will really benefit both societies. How did you decide that you know
0: you want to help girls who are sex trafficked specifically? Yeah, and then on the educational front, like how do you decide okay. that these are things that I'm passionate about? Passionate about, and I want to piece like everything together, right? Because it seems like many many aspects. it, yeah. Like education, one by itself is already such a big yeah area to tackle. Yeah. Correct. What more like girls who are sex trafficked and right. then. local artisans who yeah
1: it it might seem a bit messy but to me it's always been quite clear that I've always wanted to help people so I always felt that helping the most marginalized group of people felt like the right thing for me to do because at the end of the day poverty is at the core of all of these social issues right whether it's um, sex trafficking or, or like modern slavery, whatever you want to call it, like hunger. And and these are very common issues in Southeast Asia. The problem is that we're facing now, the industry of sex trafficking is changing, so much so that a lot of what we deal with is cyber sex trafficking. And that mainly exploits children. So this what happens is the number of victims is growing, and our institutions, our current charity systems, shelters are unable to support them the way that they need to, right? Today, we're dealing with mostly children. So these are 11 years old, 8 years old, 13. Even after they leave the foundation, that was their age at rescue. It resonated with me, you know, because they're so young and they have their whole life ahead of them. And there isn't really a system to help them get out of that. So what do we do? And, and I still think school, going back to school, getting an education, you know, in whatever form that means, is the best way to help. And the reason why sex trafficking, I mean, the sheer number of people it impacts is unbelievable. I mean, we still don't know, right, for sure how many there are. But every single shelter is at full capacity. And child pornography is just becoming a larger industry every day. So you tell me, like, why shouldn't I be there? Why shouldn't I do this? There are so many issues to deal with, but the trauma and the ugliness of this problem is just something I can't overlook. It's sort of like, you know, when you watch a horror movie, it's either you stop watching the horror movie or you keep, you keep going until the end, until you see some kind of conclusion. And maybe in a psychotic way, <laughs> I I have to see this through. I have to see a conclusion come from this because it's just not good enough to leave it alone. So when I was in college, um, I was actually in Monash in Melbourne. Shout out to all the Singaporeans in Melbourne because like half of Singapore lives there. <laughs> it's like so many, so many Singaporean <laughs> students go to Melbourne. Anyway, so I was there and... Um, And in international relations, you know, we we debate a lot about international politics and stuff. And and sex trafficking, human trafficking, was just one of the things that we talked about. And it it was so embarrassing for me that I just didn't know what was going on. I mean, I was in college in a course on international relations and and international policies, and, and I was the only person in that room who had no idea what the hell was going on. I remember reading something like... Um, anywhere between 60 to 200,000 children are trafficked each year in the Philippines. I remember reading 90% of um, victims are women in sex trafficking. I remember reading that the age, the average age, is just getting younger and younger and that cyber sex trafficking was growing at an exponential rate and that the Philippines was kind of the hotspot for that. But because of lack of infrastructure, There wasn't really, and lack of resources, there wasn't really a study done to collect the data on that. They just knew the Philippines was sort of the hub of where child pornography came out of, right? How can I sit there pretending I'm a cultured person, like having gone to so many, so many countries and not know so much of what is happening in the world? You know, And it really, it actually kept me up at night. And I would just read paper after paper on, on it because it was so terrifying and it was so it was such a violent um, confrontation and so I decided that summer to go to the Philippines and check it out myself um, my parents were going there for a wedding so I want to go and volunteer at a center or talk to somebody to see if I could do anything and um, I picked the Philippines because At that point, I hadn't really visited Southeast Asia, except for maybe Bangkok and Bali. (laughs) They speak English, and that was really just the main reason why I wanted to go, because I wanted to be on the ground to meet these people to see whether this data made sense or if this was even real, right? And that pretty much turned into the rest of my life so far. I decided to switch my major. I changed um, college. I actually moved home to Singapore and went to LaSalle School of the Arts so that I could pursue a degree in fashion media and industries while volunteering in the Philippines. So LaSalle taught me a lot of interesting schools of thought like sustainability and slow fashion. I initially started Love May, Love comma M E I, May May, and and we made camisoles. So it was a fashion company. And it just it didn't work because, you know, I was getting silk from China. I was getting it made in China. Um, and you know, it was still handmade and everything, but it didn't connect with the girls. And when I asked the girls to sew bags for me, it just took them way too long and, you know, it wasn't made very well. And I realized I don't need them to learn how to sew. I need them to go to school. The thing that I should be focusing on is sending them to school. And so having that capital is super important. Even though I can afford to send some girls to school, what about a thousand? You know? I want to send a 1,000 girls to school. I don't need a 1,000 girls to sew for me. And so then I realized, like, actually, there are so many people in the Philippines that do native craft and um, they're just not getting the recognition they deserve, right? These are, like, third, fourth, fifth generation weavers. And uh, it's just how you take this ball of cotton and you make it into this beautiful fabric textile. It's just amazing. So how can we use that? It was, it was kind of nice, like Maison, M-E-I, It's about May's home, right? It's something that she owns, and then at the same time, it it's a pun on the word Maison, which means house in French. Ha 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 ha. I never knew. Oh, did you not know that? I didn't, I didn't know. Oh my gosh, I'm, I'm a them. sucker for puns, <laughs> and I love that. That's really clever, though. It's so cute, it's right? It's very clever, yeah. Maison, yeah. yeah.
0: You, you talk a lot about, like, the girls, right? Yeah. So, I want to know my girl <laughs> exactly who <laughs> my girlfriends are these like girls are they uh, how many of them are there and
1: what is like a day to day like schedule for them so I'll just I'll just kind of throw in a profile of someone that I like a case file that I I'm familiar with for example without saying any names this is just loosely based off a and I have to say this this is loosely based off a case file that I've come across before um the girl is 11 years old she was sold to a cyber sex trafficking den when she was 7 years old she was forced to make videos and her videos were sold online and her family kept the money at the time of rescue she's 11 so she's been in this for a few years now within 24 hours her case is sent to the department of social welfare um they have a a description of what happened and then they sort her into a foundation she goes to the foundation I work with and they assess her um, learning level and because it's attached to the school like the fo- the school is part of the foundation this is all on one estate if you will she goes to let's say she's 11 years old so what is that primary 5? yeah, yeah. Okay, but her learning assessment shows that she's only primary 3 um right so she goes to that class in the meantime her case file is being handled by let's say International Justice Mission and they fight for her case so that the um, traffickers go to jail and that'll take six months to two years Mm -hmm. when her case file is closed she's allowed to leave so let's say by this point she is 13 years old and she has her primary 3 and primary 4 done um, but she's like 13 years old. Mm-hmm. She's 13 years old. She—if you put her out in the world, like, what do you think she's gonna do? What do you think her chances are? She—she she can't go back to her family. Her family's the one that put her there in the first place. At the end of the day, re-trafficking rate is really, really high. I don't even know what to call that. That's not even a proper term, I don't think. I worked with a foundation a few years ago, and. Uh, I had to leave because I just felt like their practice wasn't... We just weren't working well together. I'm not going to say anything bad about them, but I just felt like, you know, I wasn't the right match. I did get very, very close to a lot of the girls there. And, um, you know, recently they add me on Facebook and stuff. Out of, like, let's say uh, five girls, like three of them are back in trafficking. And they're not even, like, 18... So, it's really hard for me to see that. And I just f- felt like that was one of the moments where I felt like I failed because mm, it's like uh, no matter how many art classes and, and English classes you can send them to, it's like not good enough, you know? I couldn't help them. And I just, it. I know it's not my fault, but I felt like it because the re trafficking rate is so high and we're just not doing a good enough job so i think with meso it's about helping them build a better understanding of the world outside and that it's okay it's actually possible to survive it you know and put in place a system that allows them to have a better network right because I think I have a better chance of building a network of business owners that are willing to, you know, employ these girls, give them internships when they're ready to leave versus a random social worker who gets paid so little anyway and she's doing, you know, overtime just because she, she cares about the girls. She, I'm sorry, but that's the reality of the situation is that she does not have the network I have and I have a better chance of building a mentorship program for these girls to make sure that there is someone looking out for them when they do leave and preparing them for that moment and the entire point of this is that yes the girls are extremely young so how can we get them prepared right how can we prepare them to leave because they can't they can't stay at the foundation forever and the foundation's already at full capacity, 250 to 300 girls at any given point in time. And that's just one. That's one place. So what can we do to make sure that when this girl leaves, she has everything she needs to survive, right? Get a job, go back to school, get a, get a scholarship, um, and move on with her life. Like, it takes a lot for them to want that life. If she is... 21 years old and she loves having sex. She's getting paid good money for it. Fine. I believe you. If that girl is 14 years old hasn't been in a normal classroom in God knows how long is waiting for her next meal and, can- and looks at Starbucks as a luxury item you cannot tell me that this is what she wants for herself. That's why I have to try my best to do something so that she wants more for herself than to sell herself for whatever 50 bucks a night or something less than that most of the time we have sex trafficking in Singapore too but it doesn't impact our children the way that it does in the Philippines this is unheard of here this is monstrous and this is happening on such a huge scale like why is it still happening in 2020 you know what makes our society better off than theirs so you know that's a completely different topic but I just felt like yeah this is completely unjustified and we have to do something about it so Mm. does it ever get tiring dude I'm super tired Um, or do you ever lose like your purpose It's yeah. I mean, you know, when I when I when I see hmm, when I hear about what's going on to some of the girls or um, trying to face kind of what they're going through, it can get a little bit. It can get a little bit intimidating and overwhelming at the end of the day it's like this isn't even my story this is theirs so it's about it's just finding a sign that things can go right just for one day give me one day where things go right i remember i was with my lawyer and we were kind of reviewing the medications that the foundation was buying and you know for the girls There was a certain medication that kept coming up, and it was to help with acid reflux. Like, why do these girls have acid reflux? They're, like, super young. They needed medication for acid reflux because uh, while they were, you know, being trafficked, they were piled on. It's the word piled on. Piled on with so much alcohol. Applied. Mm -hmm. Anyway, they needed it because... Yeah, they were forced to drink a lot of alcohol before they started working. And so a lot of the girls are like recovering alcoholics, recovering drug addicts. They were just forced to drink so much that now when they don't get alcohol, you know, they have these insane withdrawal symptoms and their bodies are trying to recover, but they have this acid reflux. The thought of being forced to drink and not just a shot, a lot. To the point where you're unconscious every day, all the time, because it just makes you easier to work with. That's how objectified they are, you know? And it just made me really sad. And so we had to take a day, all of us in the room, we just kind of sat there and like cried together. <laughs> it's, a, it's a moment, we had a moment. Again, like when you're rich in that country, you are very rich you have no idea what is going on outside and if you're poor this is your life it's easy to understand why you hate the world we've had so many girls you know try to kill themselves after they were rescued because they just did not believe they were rescued they had no idea what that meant they have no idea what it's like to be treated well so the thought of that is terrifying Mm-hmm. Which is also why I feel like I can't leave because there's so much left to do, you know. I would have I need to have more confidence in my project that it's doing the right thing for these girls and for the best reason, for their benefit. And then I'll be like, Okay, I've done my work and I can go But right now it's like yeah, it's like you're in the middle of a horror story and you just you can't leave it yeah and there will be many more days like this i mean this is most days and then, and i never get used to it and i think that that's actually a good thing because the moment you get used to it it's kind of like you're expecting the worst already how bad can it get right having that terror kind of keeps me motivated to keep going to work faster to work harder if we were to do like a
0: timeline now right mm-hmm. from 0% to 100% where would you say you are at in terms of finishing your goal or
1: like oh how man. much you've accomplished oh uh, nowhere near mm. I feel like it, it varies there are some days I feel like I'm at 50 <laughs> and then there are days that I feel like I'm at I don't know 10 and that's okay like how do you measure success in this kind of situation i don't think it'll ever get to 100% yeah i think i'm working at like 200% i mean my math is bad i don't know if that's possible but you know i feel like i'm working at max at max capacity like i'm exhausted all the time mm. um but in terms of you know this project i would say it's really just the beginning mm. and um Maybe 10 years from now, I would be confident enough to say we're at 80.
0: <laughs> yeah. I want to ask, so I'm, I'm very sure you know that there are definitely, and you, you probably have dealt with this on your own, right? There probably are a couple of like naysayers, right? Or like people who doubt that this is anything. Because I think with this whole idea of like social enterprises, people are also a bit doubtful. They're like, can you actually make
1: a, a business difference.
0: for good, yeah. right?
1: Well, mm. again, like this is this is the thing, guys. It shouldn't even be called social enterprise. It should just be called enterprise. I think that the way people's mindsets are moving is that we expect any business, any business to have a socially responsible position. Every single industry, every single business, the expectation is that they are not creating more waste for us to deal with, that they are doing their best to be sustainable. I think that is the expectation of every single business. Social enterprise is definitely a very hot word right now, but I'm still struggling to see whether I need to use it because at the end of the day we're a business that sells homeware and we want to be very transparent with our consumer and we want to show that you know we are working with artisans responsibly and that they're getting paid fairly, they're getting paid well, right? And then the social side of it, the the foundation side of it is really none of your business. <laughs> no, I mean it's um it's about having that transparency with people and understanding like yeah the only reason why i'm making this news to you is because i want you to know that this exists this is an issue that exists and this is what you can do about it it is not it is not to my benefit that you know it's for your benefit that you're learning something about the world around you Mm -hmm. right and so social enterprise is just enterprise it should be the expectation not the exception Mm. i think this is a very
0: tough standard to hold people to because i mean the reality is that like humans (coughs) are greedy and blah 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 yeah and i i i don't want to sound like rude or like no 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 no, it's fine right but like i think you like let's say it was between me and you right Mm. i think that you are definitely in a better position to say give yourself more like I would say that I have more at stake for instance like I don't have I don't come from such a
1: blah 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 background a good background <laughs> you know and I,
0: I can't just be like yes I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna throw myself into this and I'm like it's, oh, yeah, you know yeah I get where you're coming from mm. I mean again the position I'm in is special because I can I can float the project I can mm. afford the capital to set up my own business mm. plus capital to set up classrooms for blah 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 which is fine But again, like any, I mean, what, millennials are eight times more likely to start their own businesses, right? So taking that into account, there are many innovative ways you can come up with your own capital. If you want to start your own business, you will definitely find some way somehow, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that most of us in this generation, um, we want to be responsible. Just it's ingrained in our thought process not to screw other people over that's kind of a good thing Mm -hmm. so having that in mind no matter what you do no matter how small you have like to work with you will be responsible with it I would say I I am in a better position to make certain decisions blah 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 start certain movements or create certain changes because I can afford to but who's to say you can't start something and, and you know work with that and and grow that into something bigger there are startups out there who have started with far less than i and have many 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 times more right so it's it's just that again that's a completely different conversation about opportunity and and work and and a bit of luck and startup culture right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it does but it is a
0: It's a very ideal Un-Singaporean Very ideal situation Un-S- Very tough to It's gonna take a lot off uh, it, yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's ideal, ideal. It's yeah. ideal And that's what we want yeah, We want I, I, yeah, I do. We want the ideal life We do we There's do. a reason why we have preferences on Tinder We want the ideal
0: <laughs> We deserve We deserve, deserve it We deserve it
1: <laughs> We deserve the best How
0: many months has it taken to Oh my god Be where you are like right now
1: oh man i don't know i mean i would say it's honestly like there's no real answer for that i would say it's taken me like 26 years to get here right this has been such a long journey and a very emotional one i don't even i can't even say that i'm there yet i'm just trying and that's the the point is that I have to persevere, I have to keep going. I can't tell you how many months it's been because I can't even, I don't even know what would be the starting point. It feels like, sometimes it feels like, oh yeah, we're at this stage now, we're good. It's in the clear. And then something happens and you're like, oh my gosh, this is going to shit. Like, I don't know what to do. It's just been a very tumultuous journey and it'll be like, it it will be like this for a while. I would say... It's not about how long it's taken me to get here. It's going to be how long is it going to take me <laughs> to get to a point where I can let go and and I don't need to live in Manila anymore and I can move on to, you know, Thailand, Indonesia. Mm. We'll see. Okay.
0: So as this episode is being released, Singapore just announced an extension to our circuit breaker measures until the 1st of June. <sighs> It's really not easy for many of us. I know I'm struggling too. I went into a five-minute screaming session um, after PM Lee talked about the extension. But I hope you guys find comfort during this period by tuning into content that's besides COVID. Like, you know, podcasts, videos, reading... Um, If you have enjoyed this episode and all other episodes of Something Private so far, be sure to share it with your friends to let them take a break from the weight of going through a pandemic. It's really not easy. Cut yourself some slack, okay? So, yeah. I hope you guys are staying home, staying safe. Remember, I'm always thinking about all of you. My DMs are always open, even though I don't post on Instagram all the time. But, yeah, my thoughts and prayers are with everyone. If you need some suggestions as to which... Um, communities you can donate to, feel free to drop me a DM as well. Otherwise, we are actually reaching um, the season finale of Something Private Season 2. It has been a whooping 23 episodes running for this particular season. It's really long, it's a bit different from, um, I guess, what the first season has been about. This season we've explored things that are beyond just like sexual health and wellness we've incorporated a lot of mental health discussions, a lot of um, very strong um, inspiring women that I've come across in my life like you know Megan and Rebecca herself and I think, yeah I think it's been general good fun, season 2 has been a lot broader stay tuned as I will announce next week what's to come for season 3 and I hope All of you who share this podcast with everyone you love. Stay safe. Bye!